And welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. And this week is a bit different, Jonah, just because we've had so much going on, man. We have the XFL, we have NFL Combine Prep, and then, of course, we have my latest mock drive being released today. So, of course, I have to ask you first, how you doing, man? Listen, Jordan, I am doing great, and I am consistently here. So I am ready to grow. I'm ready to go. Ready to break down your mock draft, man. Let's go. Let's get this done. Super excited about this, man. My first two-round mock draft of the year. And you, you're always a bit hesitant with releasing these mock drafts just For because sure. there's there's always that one guy on Twitter that just gives you absolute <laughs> hell about one pick, one single pick yep. out of the entire draft. That was like it was the week. actual draft. Yeah, man. It's It's always fun, like, seeing the reactions from it. Like, who disagrees, who agrees with you? But I haven't had anybody disagree yet, but I'm sure uh, once people wake up and read it in the morning, <laughs> I'm sure Larry592708 will disagree. With the dog with profile it. picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we'll see what does happen. But let's go ahead and go through this thing. I'm not going to go through every pick, of course, but we're going to change up our format a little bit. Different than what we did uh, from yours last week when we were talking about your big board and your mock draft. So I'm going to pair these picks together. And for teams that don't have a first-round selection but do have a second-round selection, I will circle back to them at the end. So without further ado, of course, with the number one overall pick, I mean, we know what the Bengals are going to do, hopefully, anyway, with Joe Burrow. But in the second round, the very first pick in the second round, to have them taking Brandon Ayuk. What's your thoughts about that? That's a great selection, and I think that's the right call for the Bengals because A.J. Green is going to be a free agent. You bring in a new quarterback you think he's going to be the future of the franchise, give him a weapon. And I know Tyler Boyd and John Ross are good players. Tyler Boyd's more of a slot receiver. John Ross is kind of like a one-trick pony with his speed. You need a guy who can just be your number one option there, kind of replace that A.J. Green role. And Brendan Ayuk has a lot of upside. He might have as much upside as any receiver in this draft in terms of just his physical traits, his ability to win after the catch. And this is overall explosiveness. So this is a guy that I think has a lot of upside and makes a lot of sense for a team that's going to be rebuilding and can grow with a young quarterback. I like this pairing just because I think of the receivers that Joe Burrow had at LSU. I think IU definitely resembles some of the qualities that they had. But we know Joe Burrow isn't a guy that necessarily likes to push the ball down the field a whole bunch as far as very, very deep down the field. And then a guy like Ayuk that really dominates in the underneath areas, but he makes his money after the catch. I think him and Burrow definitely could be a really, really good pairing. For sure, man. So who we got number two? Who we got number two? Uh, who we got? All right. So, of course, the uh, excuse me, the Redskins, they don't have a second-round selection. So, of course, you know they went Chase Young there. I think that's a no-brainer. But with the third pick, I had Jeff Okuda going to the Lions. And also in the second round, I had them taking Marlon Davidson, the edge yes. rusher from Auburn. I, I like this fit a lot, but I want to hey, get your thoughts. If you remember right, this is exactly the pairing I had for my mock draft last week. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how – you know, Jeffrey Okuda obviously makes a lot of sense for them just because Darius Slay's going to be a free agent in 2021, and they had the worst pass defense in the NFL this past season. So something needs to be done, whether it's pass rushers or pass defenders in coverage, something needs to be done. And Jeffrey Okuda, to me, after Chase Young, is the best, you know, whether a corner or pass rusher left on the board. Um, so it makes a lot of sense there. And you look at Matt Patricia coming from that New England scheme, Marlon Davidson just makes a lot of sense, playing that four, five, playing that four, four eye. I, I'm a big fan of him. I think you can move him around the defensive line, even or off front. 
You know, Matt is going to run a multiple scheme. So this is a guy who can play multiple spots, even or odd front. So Marlon Davis makes a lot of sense. I like him a lot as a potential three technique, but I could see why you might want to move him outside in a four, uh, in potentially five technique role. So a lot of versatility there. And I love those two options because again, you need two things to get the worst pass defense. You need corners, you need pass rushers, and they got them both there. And we talk about a lot about scheme fit here and just matching the player's traits with that. I don't think there's a better fit for Marlon Davidson than the Detroit Lions and exactly what they need. So I like that pairing a lot. But moving on to the fourth pick with the New York Giants. And I threw a bit of a curveball here just because Giants fans seem to be stuck on Isaiah Simmons with the fourth overall selection. And I completely understand that defense just has been really bad over the past few years. And they're tired of getting torched by some of the offenses in the NFC East. But I went Jedrick Wills here just yep. because I think Nate Solder was so bad last year, man. And they need a left and a right tackle, uh, in my opinion. But I think Wills, I think he probably can satisfy either spot. Uh, but I think, of course, he's going to start off on the right side. But if Solder does struggle again, we could see him being a cap casualty down the road and then Wills transferring over to the left side. So we'll see what does happen there. But the curveball I do want to talk about is that in the second round, I went with Zach Bond the edge mm-hmm. rusher from Wisconsin, but I think he's probably going to be a linebacker for the most yeah, part. So right. the Giants do have a huge need at linebacker, but I think Bond can definitely fit the billing there. Yeah, just so to, to compare and contrast here, my pairing was Jedrick Wills at number four, so we agree with that. I think, you know, he makes the most sense with his power and his ability to engulf people in the run game. He just fits Dave Gelman's MO as an offensive tackle, and you know Dave Gelman loves drafting trench players. So we definitely agree on that fourth overall pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think off ball linebacker makes a lot of sense that second round selection because I had them going Kenneth Murray in my mock draft. Mm. So if you had them going Zach Bond as an off ball linebacker, I think that makes a ton of sense. I don't think Zach Bond, I don't think like maybe a two or three teams maybe might have him as an edge rusher because look at his, you know, his physical profile, right? Six two, two forty, you know, about 32 inch arms. It's not something that you could really see becoming a full-time edge rusher. I mean, T.J. Watt, people are going to compare Bond to Watt, which is Wisconsin, right? But Watt also had 34-inch arms. He was also, you know, 250 pounds. Like, it's, it's a big difference, I think, between the two guys. I think Bond's more of an off-ball guy, more so than a pass rusher or hand-in-dirt kind of player. So if he's going to move to off-ball linebacker, I think it makes a lot of sense. And Bond, to me, that's where his best spot is at the next level. I think you want to take advantage of his play speed and his instincts and his ability to blitz up, up, the, up the middle. I think this is a guy that can really – Give you a lot of versatility, but I don't think he's ever going to have one true role. I think you can move him around. I think it was a good pick for the Giants. So, again, we have the same kind of idea here, but I think Bond makes a lot of sense here. He does, and he's a guy I definitely need to do a little bit more work on. I've only watched about three games from him last year, but I like what I have seen. But I want to see how the NFL does evaluate him just because I think he's a guy that could go – in the first or the second round of mock drafts, but we could see him slip to somewhere like the third round, or it could be the opposite end of the spectrum. We could see him go in the first round. So exactly. I don't I don't really have a good gauge of where he can go right now in the draft. Well, think Hassan Reddick, right? Yeah. Hassan Reddick was like a, what, a day two consensus pick, and then the senior bowl happened, and then the combine happened, and then all of a sudden he drafted 13th overall to the Cardinals, right? So yeah. it's like one of those things where, you know, versatility is king in today's NFL with a base nickel. So we could see a, a thing where these tweeners get drafted a lot higher than we've been used to. So we can get Bond drafted. Don't be surprised if Bond's drafted in the top 25 picks. So that, and that, that could definitely happen. We've seen, we've seen it in years past. Like I said, Hassan Reddick's a prime example of that. So if, if he's going to go the off-ball linebacker route, he could be that third linebacker drafted behind Simmons and Queen. 
Definitely, and I mean, I, I can't wait to see where he is selected just because I don't really have a good gauge of where he could go. Right. But uh, moving on to the next team, the Miami Dolphins, and Dolphins fans are ecstatic from what I gave them in this draft, and this is probably my favorite haul of any team in this draft, but I have Tua going fifth overall. Yep. I have A.J. Epinesa going 18th there overall. Uh, Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston, going 26th overall. There we go. Then in the second round, I have them getting DeAndre Swift and also Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm. Man, talk about a haul, man. I'm a big fan of what I gave the Dolphins in this draft. Man, so we were very similar with what we gave them in, the, in, the two, in our two mock drafts. So I, if you remember right, I gave them Tua, Epineza 18 as well, mm-hmm. and I went Austin Jackson uh, uh, instead of Josh Jones there. So I gave Josh Jones to your Minnesota Vikings. And I went J.K. Dobbins with that other second-round pick of the running back. And it, this is a, just a great haul. And I think we thought the same thing, right? You, you'll you wait to running back for the second round because the running back class will stretch. you got four or five guys that we believe can be high-level starters that you can get on day two. So why take a running back in the first round when you can get the same kind of production of a player in the second and third round? I think we had the same mindset there. Um, get, getting Josh Jones that late is just an absolute steal, in my opinion. I think this guy's a top 20 pick, a uh, top 20 player. And I think when, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be the fourth or fifth offensive tackle drafted in this class. Um, There's it, 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 a, a lot of buzz around him right now, and it's, it seems like Andrew Thomas is starting to fall. Don't be surprised if, like, Makai Becton and Josh Jones are drafted in that same range as Andrew Thomas. Because I think the NFL is going to view them in the same kind of level. I think a lot of teams are going to see Werfs and possibly Jedrick Wills and maybe even Becton as a top tier. But Josh Jones is firmly in that second tier, and that's a steal for them to get at 26. And it's about Antoine Winfield Jr. Antoine Winfield Jr. is an absolute stud. He's a guy who declared he's a redshirt sophomore, but as we know, to a couple of medical redshirts. So he's a little older than what his um, classification entails, but – this is a guy who might be the third, I guess, consensus third best safety in this class behind Grant Delpit and Xavier McKinney. Some people might like him better than those guys. And I think it all comes down to him is with, with his medicals. He goes to the combine, medical rechecks with his knee injuries. But his ball skills, he really plays deep in the secondary. He can play multiple schemes, whether it's deep safety, too deep. He can play in the slot and the box. Just a really versatile kind of player. So some teams will value him higher depending on what happens with the medicals. But if he falls all the way down to the Dolphins' last second-round pick, that is also a steal. I think that's an absolute haul for the Miami Dolphins. Man, I cannot wait to see what Chris Greer does with this roster just because they work so hard really to strip this thing down this offseason. But I think this is probably the most important offseason in team history just because they have so much draft capital. And they, also they have like $130 million in cap space, which that's is right. just a ridiculous number. So. If you were taking over a team, you couldn't, like, there's no better situation that you can have than this team just because you can mold it from the ground up and you can create it as far as an identity that you want. And I just can't wait to see what he does with this team. So really excited about the Dolphins. But I'm going to move on here. Well, actually, no, I want to add one point to the Josh Jones situation that you talked about. So I actually was on a Cleveland Browns podcast the other day, and I was thinking to myself, like, it would not surprise me at all if Kevin Stefanski in that wide zone scheme, they watch Josh Jones and like, man, we need this guy at tackle. Yeah. Because I think he's a perfect fit in what he asks his tackles to do. So I think 11. I think that's a sneaky fit to where he could go on. Hey, and there could be a tackle run. Don't, yeah. don't, don't discount it. Because what happens if multiple teams trade up? So let's say 
uh, let's say Burrow goes one, Young goes two. Those are de- you know definitive, I think. Then you got some team trades up with the Lions at three to take Tua or Herbert. And then some team follows that, whether it's the Buccaneers or the Colts, go up and get Herbert. And then all of a sudden, it might be a tackle run because you got the Chargers there. I mean, then you got the Browns again. And then you got the Cardinals, possibly. And then again, the, the Giants. It, there's, there could be a big tackle run here. And Carolina as well. So, yeah. it, like, there could possibly be three or four offense tackles drafted in the top 10, depending on how it shakes up, just because of how good this tackle class is. And you want to get your hands on one of these guys. Really excited about that, man, and I can't wait to see what happens with Josh Jones just because I think he's one guy that could have a super rise in this draft class, and we've oh, already yeah. seen it from the Senior Bowl. I mean, he's already generated a bunch of buzz about himself, but keep an eye on the Browns at 11 with him. I think that's a fantastic fit and a sneaky good fit as well, something that a lot of people aren't really talking about. But I have to move on, of course. Talking about the Chargers at the sixth overall pick, I think this is a common consensus with pretty much every mod draft across the board, and that's Justin Herbert with the mm-hmm. sixth overall pick. And then I have them taking your guy, Austin Jackson, in the second round just because okay. they need a lot of help at the offensive tackle. You know, Russell Okun just wasn't healthy last year, and that offensive line was just decimated with injuries. But they, I think they definitely do need a tackle just because Sam Tevy isn't the answer there. Everybody knows that. So I think Austin Jackson could slide in right away at that right tackle spot. Yeah, I'm not as high on Austin Jackson as a lot of like national analysts are. I think the biggest concern I have with him is just that he's a little bit raw in his past sets. I think he has a lot of good traits in terms of his footwork and just overall athleticism, but his play strength, his his coordination, I just don't see him being ready for NFL snaps right away, being able to produce. But this is a guy who has a lot of upside. I mean, it reminds me a lot of DJ Humphreys coming out, just a guy who's raw but has a lot of good athletic traits that he can really mold. I think he could develop into a starter. I think it's a great pick for the Chargers, which team that looks like it's going to be in full rebuild mode. Uh, if they draft Herbert, that's exactly the direction they're going. Um, so, and, and you, got, you got Anthony Lynn extended for a couple couple more years. So it looks like they're ready to go into that kind of rebuild mode. So, you know, you know, draft Justin Herbert, give him a left tackle to work with and, and grow with. I think this is a great, you know, really haul, two-round haul for the Chargers here. See, this is how I know, like, we are perfect co-hosts. So, what you just said, you, you say he reminded you of DJ Humphreys, right? Yep. So I was watching Austin Jackson this weekend. I watched the Iowa game and I watched the Utah game. And I wrote DJ Humphreys cloned beside oh his goodness. name. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> just to hear you yep. say that. That's why I started laughing when you said that. I was like, oh, my wow. God. Like, we think too much alike. So uh, it's pretty funny. But uh, I want to move on to the next uh, player before we take a break here. Uh, and I have the Panthers with the seventh overall selection. Mm-hmm. And I have them taking Derrick Brown, of course, uh, with the mm-hmm. seventh overall pick, just because Dontari Poe, Gerald McCoy, and Vernon Butler, all those guys could be gone off the roster next year. And th- we talk about a team that potentially could be definitely be in rebuild mode, depending on what happens with Cam Newton. So I think Derrick Brown is one guy you want to start the rebuild for that defense with, just because I don't think they have a star player on that side of the ball now, now that Luke Keekley is gone. But Derrick Brown, I think he could have like a Fletcher Cox type of effect on that defense. And then in the second round, I have them taking A.J. Terrell, the cornerback from Clemson, just because I don't know what's going to happen with James Bradbury. Maybe he might price himself out of Carolina. Maybe they're not willing to pay the price tag that he is going to command. So I want to bring A.J. Terrell in there just to start that rebuild on that side of the ball and continue it with Brown and Terrell. Yeah, and this is a Carolina defense. I love the Derrick Brown pick here because, you know, a lot of teams, you got to look at what they did in terms of stats-wise, right? Carolina, 
you know, give up 143 yards per game you know, on the ground. I, I think I ranked for fourth worst in the NFL last year in 2019. So this is a team that's going to really, I think, prioritize that run defense going into this offseason. So Derek Brown makes a lot of sense. And if they decide to go, like, you know, whereas if Jeffrey Okuda falls or an offensive tackle falls to them, they can end up going right back to the defensive tackle, going like Neville Gallimore or Ross Blacklock in the second round. And it would w- make a lot of sense there as well. But I like the direction you went here. Derek Brown, to me, is a top three player in this draft. In terms of you look at his just tape, this guy's just dominant. Uh, he's just a good football player. And if he was if he was an edge rusher as opposed to a defensive tackle, I mean, we were talking about him in the Chase Young range. Just because he plays inside as opposed to outside, people don't view him in that same kind of light just because the positional value is not as important there. But this guy is just every bit as dominant as Chase Young is on the edge as – Derek Brown is inside. This, this, this guy's a beast. And I think he's a top three player in this draft, no question. So great pick for the Panthers there. A.J. Terrell, not too high on. I think this is a guy that I thought would take a bigger step in this year. I think he actually took a step back from what he did in 2018. Um, he, he just, I think he exposed a lot more man coverage this year. And I think that was, that was shown in the National Championship game. Um, but this is a guy that I think is still really raw, a lot of tools that you can develop. But I just don't think he's ready for NFL snaps right away. And but it, it, that could be a good thing for this Panthers team that could be you know ready to reset a little bit and he could grow through his mistakes with this new you know regime with Matt Rule in charge. So it, it could be a good fit. And this Carolina team has you know historically like those longer corners, uh, James Bradbury for example. But you know it, it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out, especially if he's asked to play right away. So have you heard the stat about uh, the Panthers drafting Clemson players? I have not. Enlighten me on that. They have never drafted one before in team what? history. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? They've never drafted a Clemson wait, player well, in team history. Wait, wasn't Carolina like an expansion team? Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so that makes sense. It does. But still, okay. with them being so close in proximity, you still, think though, like, yeah. yeah, you think. It's, it's kind of weird business. how NFL teams do that, man. Like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like they never draft Florida State players for whatever reason. That's it's ridiculous. just weird. Yeah, it's just weird. It's really weird. But anyway, uh, let's move on to the last pick before we have our first break of the podcast. So the last pick, or I should say the next pick, is the Jaguars. I have them taking Javon Kinlaw with the ninth overall pick. And I think this is a sneaky good fit just because I think Marcel Darius is going to be a cap casualty there. The Taven Bryant situation just hasn't gone as planned. And then I just think Ken Law brings that inside-outside versatility that they need. And I think this team needs to get back to what their identity was back during the 2017 season. And that's playing tough, hard-nosed defense. And that's something that they haven't done in years past. And I think Ken Law does bring that to the table. Now, their second pick in the second round really was hard to project just because I don't really know where this team is going to go. But I will back up first. They actually do have another first-round pick, C.J. Henderson. That was the second uh, first-round pick. So. I like that fit there a lot, pairing him with A.J. Bouye, a guy he actually reminds me a lot of coming out. So yep. I think Ken Law and Henderson getting those two in the first round, I think that would be a home run for them. But I went with Cole Komet in the second round just because I think they have a huge need at tight end. And I wasn't really sure if they're going to go receiver uh, in, the, in the earlier rounds just because I think they might be okay since D.J. Chark has really come on there. Uh, so they get a tight end, which I think is a huge need. Yeah, I agree with you there. And this is a team that I think needs uh, just run defense. I mean, you look at when Marcel Darius went down midseason, this run defense absolutely tanked. And when you play in a division with Indianapolis and Tennessee, you got Indianapolis offensive line with Quentin Nelson and Marlon Mack running behind them. Then you got Tennessee's offensive line that really grew towards the end of the year. And we saw Derrick Henry just pummel teams in the postseason. 
I, you have to be able to shore up that run defense if you're playing in that AFC South division. Um, so to me, this is a no-brainer pick. Whether it's Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw, I think that is a perfect landing spot for one of those top two defensive tackles right there in Jacksonville. So I love that you paired them with that spot. Um, but C.J. Henderson, is, I think to me, he's a clear second-best corner in this draft. To me, it goes Akuda, drop-off, Henderson, drop-off. And I know some people may disagree with that because they think, oh, well, he's just not a great tackler. The NFL teams are not going to pass on C.J. Henderson uh, and his elite cover skills just because he's not as good of a tackler as, say, Jalen Johnson or Christian Fulton or whoever it may be. This guy has elite cover skills in man coverage and zone coverage. Some people won't like his ball production, his lack of, but this is a guy who I think has the length and he has the leaping ability and the athleticism to really contest the catch point. He showed that a lot against LSU and Jamar Chase as well. So this is a guy that I think is as much man coverage potential as any corner type, even as even, even as much as Akuda. And I love that you mentioned A.J. Boye because this is another guy that I thought of in terms of comparing C.J. Henderson to another NFL guy. So it makes a lot of sense there pairing Henderson and Kinlaw there. And then Cole Komet makes a lot of sense as well just because Gardner Minshew is more of a dink and dunk kind of quarterback. He's not going to really test defenses deep. He needs a guy who can be underneath safety blanket. And I think uh, getting a really a tight end to grow with a young quarterback makes a lot of sense for a young team. It does. And this is an interesting team just because I have no idea what they're going to do, man. They're being very hush-hush about the situation there. But I think with the identity that they, that they want to get back to, they have to be very strong on the defensive side. So getting Ken Law and Henderson, I think that would be a really good fit for them. But before we move on to the Cleveland Browns at the 10th overall selection, here's a word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back, continuing on with my latest mock draft, and we are at the 10th overall pick. And I'm going to go ahead and stack two teams here just because I think we might need to speed up a little bit just so this thing doesn't get too drawn out. So <laughs> with the Browns, I had them going Tristan Wirfs. Yep. And, or I had them going Tristan Wirfs at 10th overall. And then in the second round, I had them going Kyle Duggar, my guy Duggar, from the safety from Lenore Ryan uh, yep. with the 41st overall selection. And then with the New York Jets, I mean, you should already know based on what we were talking about at the Senior Bowl who these two picks were going to be. So I have them going Makai Becton, the offensive tackle from Louisville. Yep. And then in the second round, you should know who I'm going here without oh, me even saying it. It's Lloyd Cushenberry, the center from it. LSU. I would have already known. I would have already known. <laughs> you should have already known that. So just uh, what's your overall thoughts yeah, on that? I already knew it. And I'm going to start with the Jets just because we're just talking about them right now. That is the dream haul for the Jets, right? You're talking. About, I know a lot of people want to go wide receiver. Even I did in my mock draft. I gave them Jerry Judy, I believe. But if you can give them two cornerstone offensive linemen, and I know a lot of fans will be like, oh, offensive linemen is not really a sexy pick. But if you want to develop Sam Darnold into that franchise guy to be the future of your team, give him the protection he needs. This guy has consistently been one of the most pressure quarterbacks in the league. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. This is a guy that I think needs more offensive line help. And you give him guys like Cushenberry, you give him guys like Becton, that goes a long way for a young quarterback. And that needs to be the top priority for the Jets. That is the one thing we've talked about for the Jets, what they needed for years. Ever since the Brickershaw Ferguson, those guys retired. This is a team that's needed pass protection. And you give him Cushenberry and Becton, that is a full-on just signed. Hey, Sam Darnold, we invest in you. We believe in you. We're going to move forward now. That is the dream haul for the Jets. And for the Browns getting Tristan Wirfs, same sort of thing. You talk about prioritizing and investing in Baker Mayfield. You want to take, have him take the next step? Invest in pass protection. This is a guy who was just pummeled this year 
in the AFC North. With guys like TJ Watt, Matt Judon just coming down in that division, he needs some protection as well. And that, that was like, obviously, the, I think the Achilles heel of that offense. That, you know, people are asking, why did Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry not have as much production this year? Well, a lot of times Baker Mayfield didn't have any time to throw. So you give him Tristan Wirfs there, playing left or right tackle. This is a guy who can be a cornerstone player for that franchise. So it makes a ton of sense. And I don't even need to go on depth on Duggar because we both love him. This is a guy who I think is, you know, could be a third or fourth best safety in this draft. Big, physical, good ball skills, much better man covers than I thought when we saw him in Mobile. I love that pairing between Duggar and Wirfs, especially with that safety. You know, that safety depth chart is so jumbled up in Cleveland. Demarius Randall's future is uncertain. Morgan Burnett is really just getting older. And then yeah, the whole thing with Jermaine Whitehead on Twitter, it, it was just a mess in that safety depth chart. So yeah. fixing both those spots, offense tackle and safety, makes just too much sense for the Cleveland Browns. It does. And it was one of my favorite pairings as far as, you know, stacking two guys in the first and the second round. I really like the worst and the Duggar pairing just because it checks two boxes that they need. You're investing in Baker Mayfield, but also – with how unique that division is with Lamar Jackson and then, you know, Joe Burrow is about to enter it as well. You you want to get a situation to where, you know, you can match some of the things that are associated with it. So you get Duggar, a guy that I think could run around and make some plays on the back end of that defense as well. So really like that. But moving on to the Raiders and also the Colts, two of my favorite uh, pairings as well. We have Isaiah Simmons going number 12, mm. and I think this is a fit that makes a lot of sense just because Mike Mayock loves Clemson players. We saw it last year. He drafted three of them, Cleveland Farrell, Trayvon Mullen, and Hunter Renfro. So I said, why not go back to the well again with Isaiah Simmons here? They get a steal with him slipping to the 12th overall pick. Then they get Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver from Alabama. I think that would be a great fit for them as well. And Colts fans are already in my mentions talking about how much they like my stack that I have for them. So we had Jordan Love with the 13th overall pick. We had Jordan Jefferson, or Justin Jefferson, excuse me, uh, with the 34th overall pick. And then their final pick in the second round, we had them going Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma. So what's your overall thoughts on those two teams? Man, I both great hauls. I think, you know, it may be a little unrealistic to see Isaiah Simmons getting all the way down to 12. Just because I think when he goes to the combine, he he might break sub 4-4, and he's going to jump over 40 inches yeah. in the vertical. So there's going <laughs> to be a time, point in time to where you say, okay, where's his floor in this draft? All and right. I think to me his floor is probably Carolina, um, just because of the Luke Keekley loss. And you know I think their run defense, and you really need to shore that up. Like I said 143 yards per game on average, to opposing run games. Um, but just talking about you know, Simmons and the Raiders makes too much sense. This team's linebacker core is just absolutely decimated. Fontes Burfick suspended for the entire season. And then Nicholas Morrow is their best linebacker for the rest of the year. So this is a team that needs linebacker help. And, you know, like I said, John Gruden and Mike Mayock, they were eyeing Devin White and Devin Bush all last year. They weren't able to get them, uh, so they had to settle. But, but with veterans this past year, they want their guy. And Simmons can be that guy. It makes a lot of sense. Um but then you have this. This is a team that I think needs to keep building the identity of toughness and physicality. You got with Josh Jacobs last year. You got with Jonathan Abram last year. You add a guy like Isaiah Simmons. You bring it right back, and that's why I often mock them Patrick Queen. So this, yeah. So this is this is a team I think is going to draft a linebacker with one of the first two picks, and it just so happens that Isaiah Simmons fell to them into twelfth overall spot in this scenario. Now I'm, I'm going to move on to the Colts. I want to talk about Jordan Love. And this pairing, because we've talked about it a lot. This mm-hmm. is the best possible scenario in terms of realistic options for Jordan Love. 
his entire draft. It's about going high number 13 overall. It's about working with Frank Reich, a renowned quarterback guru, even ever since his time with, uh, with Philadelphia Eagles and Doug Peterson. This is a guy who, I mean, really helped develop Carson Wentz into, into the person he really is right now as a quarterback. And I think he can do the same thing with Jordan Love. And the third thing with this is that this is a team that's really stable GM-wise. So you're not going to have you know, a new GM. Chris Bauer is one of the best in the business. So he's not going to be leaving anytime soon. So it's not a scenario where a new GM comes in and he's not going to like Jordan Love. He's going to ship him out. So he has stability. He has a great uh, quarterback developer in Frank Reich. And he has a bridge quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. So he wouldn't need to play until he was, for, until he was asked to. He wouldn't be forced into action. So this is a perfect scenario with those three steps for Jordan Love to go into Indianapolis, learn, sit behind, and then play when he's ready. It makes a lot of sense. It not only does it make sense for Jordan Love, it makes sense for the Colts because they need their quarterback of the future. Because I think, like we said in, in previous podcasts, they're really a quarterback away from being a real contender to the AFC. And then you got guys like Justin Jefferson just to really you know, shore up that wide receiver core with him and T.Y. Hilton. And they got Neville Gallimore. They really need interior defensive line beef up front. Neville Gallimore is right, fits right their alley. Uh, it, it's just an absolute steal in the second round, in my opinion. So, you know, that whole you know trio of pl- uh, prospects with Love, Jefferson, and Gallimore makes a lot of sense for what they need and what they want long term. I really like this haul for the Colts, man. And I just think they're a team that they're just missing something outside of the quarterback. But I just don't really know exactly what it is. But maybe it's another receiver opposite of T.Y. Hilton. Maybe this is that interior guy. And I think Love definitely could be that. And I think Justin Jefferson, also Gallimore, would be welcomed additions as well. So moving on to the two next two teams, I should say. We have the Buccaneers at 14, and I have them taking Andrew Thomas. And then coming back in the second round and taking Jacob Eason, which I think is a fit that we have talked about a lot. And it's a situation where we could see something, I don't want to say flip-flop, just because Andrew Thomas isn't going to go in the second round. I don't believe that to happen. But we could see Eason going at 14. I definitely could see a situation where that could happen, even though that may be way too early for him. I could see a guy like Bruce Arians falling in love with him and taking him there. But for now, just for this exercise, I have them going with him in the second round. And then the Denver Broncos, I have them going Jerry Judy, a bit of a slip here for him. So they reap the benefits from that. And then in the second round, I have them going Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from Utah. I know you're a big fan of him. So them getting Judy and Jalen Johnson and Vic Fangio's defense, I think, can help them a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to touch on Tampa Bay first. And I think the Easton fit makes a lot of sense. Just because we talk about Bruce Arians loves those big arm quarterbacks who can really, we're really fearless risk takers. I know you have to work with Jameis Winston, but that is really, as we watched this past season, it didn't look like a great pairing. I think Jacob Eason, you know, Bruce Aarons won his hands on a young quarterback. He can really mold from the ground up. Eason makes a lot of sense. I think taking him at 14 is very much a possibility, especially if all those quarterbacks go off in the top 10 picks. So you got guys like, you know, Tua goes off the board, Burrow's off the board, Herbert's off the board, Love's off the board. Do the Buccaneers really want to take that risk of waiting all the way down to their second-round pick to take Eason or even trade up to the very end of the first round? I don't think so. I think so. If Arians loves Eason, he'll take him at 14. So I think it makes a lot of sense there. Um, but it, it, in a scenario, he falls the second round. So it's a great, it's a great scenario for the Buccaneers there. And then move on to the Broncos. I, you know, we, we, we talk about rugs a lot, but I want to touch on Jalen Johnson this fit because the Buccaneers, one of the sneakiest needs on this depth chart is a cornerback. And Jalen with Chris Harris Jr. getting older, there's not a lot of depth behind him. They traded Bradley Roby. So this is a guy that I believe has a lot of potential and he's not getting a lot of hype. We talk about underrated prospects, right? 
Jalen Johnson to me is the forgotten cornerback in this cornerback class, and he should be because he's so, he has so much production. He had he had five interceptions, you know, two years ago, and he had a pick six this year against Washington in a big game. This is a guy who makes plays on the ball. He's fast. He's physical. Great in man coverage. There's really a whole lot that you can't really point to and say that's why he's not going to be productive in the NFL. And it, 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 I compare him a lot to Christian Fulton because they're really similar prospects, I think. But the one thing that really separates uh, Johnson from Fulton is his play strength. So when you look at Johnson, I think the one thing you point to and say, okay, maybe his length is not all that great, but everything else he does is just so well-rounded and smooth. And it looks so easy for him. So getting him in the second round for the Broncos, a team that desperately needs a corner for the long-term outlook for the team's future, makes just so much sense for them. I like that pairing a lot, man. I like Judy and Pat Shermer's offense. I think he could be like their Stephon Diggs to where uh, when Shermer was in Minnesota. I think that's a role he definitely could satisfy. And, you know, I mean, you hit the, hell, the nail on the head as far as Jalen Johnson. Potential is the big word that's really attached to his name. So I think he could be a very good fit in Vic Fangio's defense. But I want to keep this train rolling here. And I went with Kalevon Chason at the 16th overall pick with the Falcons. And then in the second round, I think I like this fit a lot of any cornerback, probably the most of anyone that we have done in the mock draft so far. I have them taking Noah Igbenogany in the second round, a guy that we both have spoken very highly of. And I like his fit in this Dan Quinn defense going forward. So I have them taking Chase on and Igbenogany in the second round. And then your Cowboys, I think you're going to love this haul. I have them taking Grant Delpit mm-hmm. in the first round. And then Justin Matabuke in the second round, defensive yep. tackle from Texas A&M. So just talk briefly about both of those teams. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta makes a lot of sense. We talk about Caleb on Chase on the Falcons. and that, That's a pairing that we've been talking about for the last month or two. It makes too much sense. Thomas Dimitrov loves those speed rushers off the edge. Guys a lot of physical uh, traits and a lot of upside. Chase on just fits that MO of that general manager. Um, and then going on to Dallas, and it, this is a pairing I think is going to make a lot of sense. I think it's going to be you know, talked about a lot because Grant Delpit has been connected to Dallas for months with the, the safety need that they've needed for a decade, that deep safety could make plays on the ball. Uh, it makes too much sense for Delpit in Dallas, I think. I think you could pretty much – if there's one pick I can pretty much say that will probably happen, I can probably – if I had to guarantee one pick outside the top ten, it's probably Grant Delpit to the Cowboys. It just makes a lot of sense, and you think he's going to be there. It, it, it just looks like it's going to fall into place there. And then, it, and then Justin Matabuke is another guy that's getting a lot of whispers in Dallas. And, you know, I, obviously I'm based in the Dallas area, and I've covered the Cowboys, so I, I, I have a little bit more knowledge on the Cowboys than a lot of the other teams in the NFL. And the, if there's one defense tackle name that keeps coming up in that building, it's Justin Matabuke. And it, 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 I think this front office is going to love him. And I, I would not be surprised at all if, this, if he's a second-round target for this team. You know, he can be that one technique, three technique in Mike Nolan's new defense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and this is a team that hasn't prioritized defensive tackles in the past. They've really waited till day three to pick their defensive tackles, if that. But I think Mike Nolan is a, a guy who's, who's historically drafted defensive tackles early in the draft. And Matibuke really falls under what they want. It, it would not surprise me at all if they, they pull the trigger in the second round. So Matibuke dealt it. That pairing makes a lot of sense for the Cowboys. It does, and I wanted to shout at you. I wanted to shout you out just for that, man, just because I know you were gonna like that pairing a lot. So I want I got your seal of approval, which makes me feel a lot better <laughs> about that haul. <laughs> but before we move on, I want to take another break. So here's another quick word from our sponsors. 
All right, and we are back, and we're going to finish this thing up. We're going to fly through the last few picks yep. uh, in the first and the second round. So starting off with the 21st overall selection, I have Jalen Rager, uh, the wide receiver from TCU, going to the Eagles. This may be a bit early for some people, but I think no. Rager, with the traits that he does show, yep. I think he's going to end up being a first-round pick. Now, it's really hard to project where he's going to go, but I like this fit a lot just because – the Eagles tried it out. Nelson Aguilar, Greg Ward Jr., and also J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. That was their top three receivers down the back stretch <laughs> of last year. Alshon Jeffrey was hurt. Deshaun Jackson, we know he's had his injury roles uh, throughout his career. So they need to have an electrifying guy and a playmaker in that receiver room. And I think Rager does bring that to the table. And then in the second round, I think they get a steal in Cam Dantzler, the cornerback from mm. Mississippi State. Uh, these two players, adding them to this roster, that I think will be a home run for the Eagles. Absolutely. Jalen Rager, I mean, this is a guy that has just lightning speed. And there cannot be a round difference between Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager. There just can't be. And you can argue Jalen Rager has the more impressive resume as well with his college production. So this is a guy that I think, you're talking about Henry Ruggs is going to run four two five at the combine. Jalen Rager is going to run four two nine. It's honestly not that big of a difference in the two. Rager is just as explosive as Ruggs, especially with the ball in his hands. He's arguably even stronger. So to me, getting Jalen Rager at twenty one is not too high. I think that's exactly the right range for him. And in terms of finding the next Deshaun Jackson for that Eagles franchise, Jalen Rager could exactly be that guy, whether it's a receiver or as a punt returner. I love that fit. Cam Dantzler is another guy who's going to go a lot higher than people think. And this might honestly be a too low for Dantzler. And I was a little too low on, on myself as well. If talking about a guy who might rise into the first round with how he performs at the combine with his length and man coverage ability, it's Cam Dantzler. I don't think any corner in college football did a better job than Jamar Chase in man coverage this season than Mississippi State's Cam Dantzler. In that game, he just was all over him, whether it was a vertical route, you know, in and out of his transitions laterally. He was just sticky on that, on that man's hip pocket. Dancer to me, is going to be the biggest riser in this cornerback class. And it would not surprise me at all if he snuck into the first round. So that's an absolute steal for them in the second round. It definitely is, man. And I think the Eagles, they're a team that I think they have an absolutely loaded roster, but they just weren't able to stay healthy last year. And I think they could reap the benefits from this draft class. But they have to find a way to add a receiver and a cornerback somehow to that roster. So we'll see what they do end up doing. But getting Rager and Dantzler, I really like both of those fits. Uh, just I'll, I'm going to go ahead and review the next three teams. All right, so I have Cesar Ruiz to the Patriots in the first round. I know that mm. might be the biggest surprise just because, man, a lot of people are saying, like, where Cesar Ruiz come from? He came out of nowhere. But if you remember, I talked back in November about Cesar Ruiz. <laughs> go back and watch his game against Michigan State. And also, what was the, Iowa? That was the other game that really yep. jumped off the screen about him. And a Very lot of people were game. talking about Cushenberry. Hennessy, and we were talking about Tyre Biotish at the time, but I said, keep in mind, Cesar Ruiz, this is a guy that he hasn't really got his chance to shine, but he was a former five-star recruit, top center in the country, but he just hadn't had his chance to shine, and he did that last year, and we're starting to see him pop up in some first-round mock drafts a lot now, so Ruiz is definitely one guy that he's probably going to end up being my top center in this draft class, and I love Cushenberry, but I just think Ruiz, he's a bit stronger. I think he has more balance at the point of attack as well. I think that gives him I think that gives him the edge. But uh, the next few picks, um, oh, I skipped over one. Sorry. So I had LaVisca Chenault with the Bills at the 22nd overall pick. Just backing up. uh, Just backing up one pick. Just I accidentally skipped over that. And then in the second round, I had them going Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle from Mizzou. 
So I like those two fits there. And then the next pick, we'll talk about uh, T. Higgins to the Saints, just because I think Michael Thomas needs some help there in that offense, just because they were so reliant upon his production. So I have T. Higgins going to the Saints with the 24th overall pick. So just recapping those picks there, I have LaVisca Chenault to the Buffalo Bills. And then we have Jordan Elliott there in the second round to them. And then Cesar Ruiz to the Patriots with the 23rd overall pick. And then we have T. Higgins to the Saints with the 24th overall pick. So out of those three teams, which one do you like the most? I love the T. Higgins pairing in New Orleans. You talk about pairing Michael Thomas with another wide receiver. That's going to open up the offense so much more. And that's an already explosive New Orleans attack, right? Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas just broke the record for receptions in a single season. So this is a team that's already explosive. You want to unlock even more potential to the offense, bringing in a guy who can, who can uh, stretch the field vertically. Michael Thomas is going to dominate the short to intermediate game, but he doesn't have that true burner speed or that you know guy who can really test teams as a deep threat. T. Higgins can be that kind of guy for them. And I think T. Higgins fits the offense perfectly for what they want to do. So I love that pairing between Thomas and Higgins the best. Really, really like T. Higgins' fit there. And I think there's so much discrepancy as far as the differences that people view him just because some people think he struggles to separate, even though he can win at the catch point predominantly. So I'm really interested to see. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to see how the NFL does value him just because it would not surprise me one bit if he does end up going top 15. That would not surprise me at all. Raiders. Especially if he runs 4-4-4-5. Absolutely. You know, the Raiders love them Clemson guys. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Mayock definitely loves those Clemson guys. <laughs> uh, just moving the train along here, um, I have the 25th overall pick. The Vikings, I have them going. Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU. Yeah. Xavier Rose just hasn't been himself since signing that extension. In 2017, Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander are set to become unrestricted free agents. So they have a need at corner. And I know Vikings fans are so tired of taking first-round cornerbacks, but they definitely <laughs> have a need at corner. And then in the second round, I have them going Prince Tegel with no-go with the oh, offensive man. tackle that's from Auburn. Big. I think I think that's a really good pairing. And then with the 27th overall pick, the Seahawks, I have them going Terrell Lewis the edge rusher from Alabama, just because we don't know what clown was going to happen with Clowney there. He may price himself out of town. And then in the second round, I have them going Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia, just because I think he fits, I think he fits a bit better in that predominantly zone scheme, as opposed to a man scheme, just because I thought he looked a bit better in zone at Virginia, as opposed to when he had to match a mirror. So I think he could be a really good fit in this Seahawks scheme. I love the Minnesota pairing, man. And, Join the movement on Jeff Gladney. Let's go. And, you know, I, I, I know. That's your I guy, man. That's your I guy. I know I got a seal of approval on Jeff Gladney whenever you give him to your team in a mock draft. <laughs> oh, my <Right>. goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it makes too much sense, right? Mike Zimmer loves aggressive physical corners. And that's why, you know, I love C.J. Henderson a lot. That's why I couldn't see C.J. Henderson going to the Vikings. I think C.J. Henderson's a much better man corner, where I think the Vikings are going to play a lot more cover three, a lot more of the zone looks. And then Gladney might, and Gladney's great in man as well, but some of Gladney's best plays are in zone and coming down in run support. He's so physical, and I think that aggressive style play just fits right up Zimmer's alley. And you know, again, they need a corner. The long-term outlook, Xavier Rhodes might be a post-June one cut. They got guys like, you know, Mike Hughes is still in the fold, but Trey Waynes, McKenzie Alexander are free agents. They need another guy. I know, like I said, Vikings fans might be a little frustrated taking first-round corners all the time, but Jeff Gladney's a real deal. And this is a guy that I think could produce right away. I think he's one of the most NFL-ready cornerbacks in this class. Then Prince Tega Wonogo, so much upside. 
this guy, he may be a little raw, but he has as much upside as any of the first offense tackles already off the board here. This guy just fits the bill. There's a physical profile, his length, his, his traits, his physicality off the edges of mirror and pass protection. I'm a big fan of Prince Tega Wanogo, and it would not surprise me at all if he kind of slipped into that late first round, possibly even Green Bay at the end of the first round. So it, it, this would be an absolute haul for the Vikings. And the Seahawks are great pairing as well. I, I, you know, I love the pairing of Bryce Hall here. We talk about him being better in his zone look. It makes a lot of sense for him because I, I watched him against Tamorian Terry, who would be a possible top up next year from Florida State, and he ate him up in man coverage all game long. And this is a guy who I think is always better with his eye discipline, his smarts, his mental processing, not so much with his athleticism. I think you put him in a zone scheme, you can kind of mitigate his lack of athletic traits and kind of maximize what he's best at. And that's really baiting quarterbacks in zone and taking advantage of his ball skills and length. I don't really know where he's going to get drafted. I'm talking about Bryce Hall, just because I want to see how fast he runs. If I had to guess, I would say he may four, not. Five, five. He may not even run. Right, because of the ankle. But I think he would be wise to run, assuming he's fully healthy and fully recovered. I think it would be wise wise for him to run just yep. to show that he's fully healthy. And I think we need a number on him. Well, and, well that, that's the biggest thing, right? Because when when you, end up, when you don't run at the combine and you're, I guess, you can say you're hurt, but if you're like 90% ready to go and you don't run, that, that you're basically telling the NFL that you're slow. Because mm-hmm. if you're if if you're 90% ready to go and healthy, or like at least some somewhat healthy, and you could run, or you're doing other drills instead of the 40, you you're either, you're either fast or you're not. And right. I think that confidence or that lack of confidence to run the 40 is going to tell teams a lot. So Bryce Hall, whether it's 90%, 80%, whatever it is, if he can participate in the drills, in terms of like the the footwork drills, the back pedal. The W drill, the three cone, the vertical jump, he needs to do the 40. Because if he doesn't, that's going to tell teams that he's slow. I'm with you. And he just doesn't look like a super fast guy on tape, especially he when he exits phase and he has to, like, stay with guys along the sideline. If he's playing catch-up after he gets beat, he rarely ever catches up with him. So that's why I said four five five at best. I think that's probably the yeah. best number for him. Or the if best he runs outcome. under 4-6, it's a win. Oh, absolutely. So we'll see what does happen with that situation. But going through the final few picks here, and I'll mow through all these. Uh, Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, I have him going to the Ravens uh, in, in the first round. And then I also have them coming back and getting Raekwon Davis, the interior defensive lineman from Alabama, just because I think they need some help there. Even though his stock, man, it really has plummeted. And I think just because it's because he didn't play in the senior bowl. And then we know we've talked about him a million times on here, how he just hasn't looked the same since his earlier years. And he's a guy that's went through a lot, but I think that would be a really good pairing for them. Uh, the Titans, this was a really hard projection to make just because I don't really have a good feel for their needs, but I think cornerback is one obvious one. So they read the benefits of Christian Fulton slipping all the way down the board here. It's a 29 for them. I think that's a good fit for them just because I don't think Malcolm Butler or Dory Jackson possess the upside that he does. Uh, and then I have them. This was an interesting pick that I'm surprised nobody has brought up yet. So we, I'm sure you've heard the quote about Derrick Henry coming and saying that Zeke money is like the baseline for him that he's going to accept yep. as a free agent. So I have them taking Jonathan Taylor, the mm. Wisconsin running back, just because we know how cheap these running backs are on their rookie deals. 
I think with Derrick Henry probably going to go, probably leaving out the door unless they franchise tag him or something like that. I just don't see the Titans paying that kind of money to a running back, especially with the guy that has that much mileage on him. But you bring in another guy that's a proven commodity with a bunch of mileage on him, but I think they can get some really good years out of him while he's on his rookie deal. And Jonathan Taylor, I know the fumbling issues are a concern, but I think with the amount of reps that he's going to get with this offense, really a predominantly run-first offense for the most part, I think this is a situation where he could step in and thrive right away. And that's just assuming Derrick Henry is out the door. So that's the reason I made that pick. Yeah, so I'm just going to go circle right back to the Baltimore pick. Patrick Queen makes a lot of sense. Talk about Baltimore linebacker C.J. Mosley in the past. Talk about physical brand of football. Patrick Queen embodies that, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And they need they need interior help there. Uh, ever since C.J. Mosley left the Jets, they've really sorely lacked that linebacker spot. And I think it makes a lot of sense drafting Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray at that 28 spot. And then you got Raekwon Davis going there. I know Ozzie Newsom's not the general manager anymore, but his influence still reigns supreme. Drafting those Alabama players. And you can guarantee that they're going to draft one Alabama player in each draft for the rest of time. So it makes sense drafting Raekwon Davis there. They, like I said, they need interior help to stop the run. Raekwon Davis makes a lot of sense despite all his flaws. And I think he's a little bit more of an underwhelming player as opposed to what he showed in his production. So it makes a lot of sense for what Baltimore showed there. Tennessee, um, I, I got to tell you, Christian Fulton, I'm not as big of a fan of him as others are. But getting that 20, uh, giving that 29 here is, I think, the right range for him. And it makes a lot of sense. This team at Dory Jackson's kind of just been average, um, more of an athlete than football player. I think that's always been the case with him. Malcolm Butler's sort of a deteriorating player since he got out of that New England scheme. Um, so this is a team that really needs that kind of number one corner on the outside. And Christian Fulton fits that bill as an NFL-ready guy for a team that's ready, for a team that's ready to contend. And then Jonathan Taylor fits so interesting because, like I said, Derrick Henry might price himself out of Tennessee this offseason. And that seems like unreal because right because Derrick Henry just went bananas in the postseason and this is a guy who's the NFL leading rusher and you're like how can you do let him walk well if he's asking for 20 million dollars per year and, and you could probably replace that kind of production at least 75 to 80 percent of it for a quarter of the money you have to do it and I think this the Jonathan Taylor picking the second round makes just too much sense there to replace that and you already invested a lot in the offensive line Guys like Nate Davis there, Taylor Lewan, Jack Conklin, who have to get into a contract too. I think you can draft a running back like that and Jonathan Taylor, like I said, and replace 75 to 80% of the production for a quarter of the price. So I love, love that pairing there in the second round for Tennessee. I like it a lot. And Tennessee, a team that surprised a lot of people this year, getting all the way as far as they did, especially with Ryan Tannehill under center. I really like the pairing there as far as what they picked up in this draft with Christian Fulton and then coming back in the second round and getting Jonathan Taylor. So I like that a lot. But just finishing this thing out, I have the Packers at 30 going Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, and then going K.J. Hamler in the second round, the wide receiver from Penn State. Just because the Packers, they don't really draft receivers in the first round. They haven't done it since 2002 with Javon Walker. I'm not sure if you remember that name. That's really a blast from the past. Uh, so they haven't drafted a receiver in the first round since then. And then Gutekunst is really a guy, uh, speaking of Packers general manager, Brian Gutekunst, he's a guy that really sticks to his philosophies as far as what he learned from his upbringing while he was rising through the ranks. So that's why I didn't peg the Packers taking a wide receiver there. Uh, then the 49ers with 31st overall selection to have them going Xavier McKinney, 
the the safety from Alabama. I think that's a really good fit there, especially with Jimmy Ward possibly uh, leaving out the door via unrestricted free agency. And then finishing up the draft, I have the Chiefs going Trayvon Diggs. And then coming back in the second round, they get Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker from mm. Appalachian State, just adding some speed on the second level of that defense. And then we know the Chiefs secondary could always serve uh, to get some more help on the back end. So that rounds out the draft. Just what's your overall thoughts on those three fits before we wrap up? Yeah, and you know we're the two co-hosts of this podcast because we had the exact same two picks to end my mock-up as well, McKinney and Diggs. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just going back to the Packers, I love the KJ Hamler fit because with Devontae Adams really dominating on the outside, they really, you know, they – a lot of Packers fans aren't going to admit it, but they really missed Randall Cobb this year. Yeah. Was opening up, you know, the middle of the defense and more of as a vertical threat. Uh, getting a, a KJ Hamler could step right in in that slot in the slot role. He's an NFL ready NFL ready made route runner. Guy can really play with Aaron Rodgers, get open. Man, that would open up the offense even more, and it opened up a lot of more looks for Devontae Adams, who received a lot of double teams last year as well. So uh, that Packers offense needs another weapon, whether it's a tight end, a slot receiver, another outside receiver. They need something. Getting KJ Hamler in the second round makes a lot of sense. San Francisco, Xavier McKinney, and we talk about this fit for, it seems like forever. His versatile chess piece skill set. Got Jimmy Ward, who's been, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of jack of all trades for San Francisco, filling a lot of hats, whether it was playing man coverage in the slot as a nickel defender, playing deep in their two deep safety scheme. Xavier McKinney can do the same sort of thing. I think he's more of a Jimmy Ward plus. So, really replacing him and replacing that production with kind of a better, younger player makes just a lot of sense there. And then going with Kansas City, Trayvon Diggs, you know they love length at the cornerback position, and they love playmaking. It's a good team that drafted Marcus Peters. It's a team that, you know, Marcus Peters played on and he really made his fame there. And I think Trayvon Diggs is kind of the same sort of player as Marcus Peters was coming out of Washington with his length and playmaking ability. So it makes a lot of sense there. And then getting Akeem Davis-Gate there may, may seem a little high to some people, but to me this is a guy that – we talk about guys like Zach Bond. You know, rising up late in the draft. Akeem Davis is going to be the same sort of thing, that kind of guy who can be a hybrid player for you, whether it's a safety, a linebacker, nickel defender, whoever it may be. This is a guy that thinks we're really going to rise because of his versatility. Versatility is king. And where we saw tweeners 10 years ago fall to, you know, fall two or three rounds, now we're going to see these tweener versatile guys get bumped up a round or two, I think. Uh, I think Akeem Davis is going to be one of those prime examples of that kind of player. And I think he fits exactly what the Chiefs need in that second level of the defense. Definitely, man. And it's always fun doing these mock draft exercises just because you want to see who fits where, like what team needs what. So it's always good to get a gauge on some of these guys and how all these fits really calculate into everything. So I love doing this. It's really fun. It's always going it's always fun going back through these with you as well, especially when you do it and then we compare our notes. And then the fits as well. So it was a really fun exercise. But hopefully all you guys are satisfied with your team's picks. It always is great to do these mock drafts. So make sure you go check out Jonah's mock draft as well as my mock draft on the draftnetwork.com. And, of course, thank you guys for listening to the podcast once again. We will be back to on tomorrow's show talking about a bunch of various different things as well. But make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the podcast, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. We are the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tolls. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back tomorrow.